0: Well, happy Resurrection Day. How's everybody? Good. All right. Ooh. Come on. Well, today is the day. Today is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this is not just a day to get new clothes and have baskets and, and do all these things. That That's not the point of today. Uh, the point of today is the celebration of what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on Calvary's cross and... Overcoming the grave. This is why we gather. This is the reason we come together on Sunday mornings. It's not just something that is a, um, a constructed construct of uh, of people. This is this is put together because the Lord Jesus Christ overcame death on Sunday morning, and, and so this is the Lord's day. This is what it, historically this is what it's called the Lord's day. And, and today, I, I want us to take time to remember, we're going to go through a lot of different texts today. So have your fingers warmed up. If you've got your Bibles, just get ready. We're going to be in a, several different texts today. Uh, we're going to walk through uh, the Scriptures and, and remember, remember what Christ did for us to rescue a people who betrayed Him, who mocked Him, and who denied Him. And just so you know, every one of us in the room, we are the people who have mocked, betrayed, and denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And He came to seek and to save people just like you and I. So, like I said, get your fingers warmed up. Uh, We're going to walk through the pages of Scripture together. Um, and, And historically, over the last several days, so much has taken place. So much took place from last Sunday to this Sunday that Jesus had so much unfold in that seven days. And in Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 25, uh, it tells us that he gathers together with his disciples. And and he institutes the Lord's Supper and he reveals that one of the disciples is going to betray him. Um, Let's read, if you've got Mark chapter 14, we're going to start, we're going to read a few verses here. Um this was uh, the feast of unleavened bread which we just celebrated through this last week. So verse 12 of Mark chapter 14 says on the first day of unleavened bread when they sacri- when they sacrificed the Passover lamb his disciples said to him where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover. And he sent two of the disciples and said to them go into the city and a man carrying a water jar will meet you. I mean, so it's very specific instructions from the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what you're going to, there's going to be a guy carrying a water jar. Follow him. So, uh, wherever he, when he enters in to the house, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? And where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as it had been told to them. And they prepared the Passover. And when evening had come the 12, with the twelve, he gathered. And they were there reclined at the table eating. Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to one another, well, is it me? Is it, is it I? And he said to them, it is the one of the twelve who is dipping bread with me into the dish. And the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man who the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for him, for that man, if he had never been born. That is a sobering thought process. That Judas, it had been better if Judas had never been born because of what it was about to take place. The, the wrath that was going to be unfurled on Judas from God Almighty. Wow. He institutes the Lord's Supper, shows them what that looks like in verse 22. As they were eating, he took the bread after blessing it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, this is my body. So we, we celebrated this just a, a week or so ago, um, doing Lord's Supper talking about this is a symbol of God's body. The bread is a symbol of God's perfect body. That's the reason we use unleavened bread. Um, then he passes the cup. It's a picture of God's blood that's going to be shed on behalf of those that would believe. So we have this this institution of the Lord's Supper. And then we move, if you want to flip over and take your fingers and go over to Matthew chapter 26. This is the next course of events that takes place. Is that they leave the upper room and then they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a, this is a sobering moment for Jesus. Because we see the humanity of Christ. We see Christ in, his, in all of his humanity he is not wanting to go through this. And it's not necessarily the pain of the cross or the whippings or anything like that. The thing You'll see here in a minute what Jesus didn't want. More than anything, He did not want to be separated from His Father. That's the most agonizing part of this. The, the Trinity had never been separated for all eternity. And we see here in Mark, Matthew 26, Jesus takes his disciples to gethsemane and you're going to see what happens verse 36 then jesus went with them to a place called gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while i go over there and pray so he gives them instructions sit here while i go pray go go sit here and taking with him peter and two of the sons of zebedee he began to be sorrowful and troubled and then he said to them my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So he's asking them, be watchful, pray with me. I want you to pray with me. And going a little while farther, he fell to his face and prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So he is having a conversation with his father. Father, if there's any other way, If there's any other way we can redeem these people, if there's any other way we can buy back these treacherous, sinful, wicked people, can we figure it out? Is there any other way, God? And if there had been any other way, they would have gone that route. But I love what Jesus says next. Not my will, Father, but thine be done. And he came back to his disciples and found them sleeping. This is how I know they were Baptist. So, if you didn't get that joke, you can. But he came back to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you couldn't even watch with me for one hour? You couldn't even watch with me for one hour? This is one of the most gut-wrenching moments of the entire story. His inner group, not not the people that were just sort of kind of halfway there. This is his inner group. Peter, the the two sons of Zebedee, this is his inner group, his disciples. They fail. They can't even stay awake long enough to pray. But think about you and I, how quickly we want to throw a stone at these guys. I can't believe they wouldn't stay up. Listen, there's some of us that can't even make it through an hour-long service. When it comes to prayer, you and I are no better. We oftentimes struggle to find time to actually fall on our faces and pray to God Almighty. And when I, say, when I say pray, I mean having a meaningful conversation, not a, God, thanks for the food, thanks for the day. I'm talking about a meaningful conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. We fall short. And sometimes we even fall asleep. I'll never forget dad telling a story of a, a, a seminary student that was bunking up with him and my mom for a while. Was, was rooming up, was a roommate. And he was in bed reading the word. And he had it up like this as he was laying. And dad came back by about ten minutes later. The word was on his face. And he asked him, he said, well, what was that? he goes, I was just trying to osmosis the word into my mind there. I hadn't fallen asleep. No, no. Oh, but how quickly we do that. We fall asleep. We fall asleep so quickly when it comes to prayer. I don't know what it is when it comes time to pray. We just are, we're just tired. And I think that's, a, that's an attack of the enemy. We have just a struggle to pray. Let's keep going to verse 41. Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit, Listen, he, he admits it. The Spirit's willing. Everybody in the room right here, I can guarantee you, your spirit's like, man, I want to pray better. I want to have a better conversation with the Lord. I want to have a better spiritual life. I want to be able to read the word better. This is what I want to do, right? The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away to pray. My father If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came back and found them what? Sleeping again, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came back to the disciples and said, Sleep and take your rest later on. See that the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed Into the hands of sinners, rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And we see Judas here in a minute enter into the garden and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. The thing that is meant to be a, a symbol of love and camaraderie and friendship is a kiss. He betrays the Savior with what's meant to be a picture of love. So Jesus is arrested in the dead of night, and he's taken to a ridiculously phony and mock trial. In John chapter 18, we see the arrest. So if you've got your Bibles, flip over to John chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 1. So Jesus had just finished speaking these words to his disciples when he went out with his disciples across the brook where... There was a garden which the disciples entered. Now, Judas, verse 2, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew that the place that Jesus often met with his disciples. So the Garden of Gethsemane was a regular meeting place for Jesus and his disciples. This was not just a once-off place that they went. The Garden of Gethsemane was a place that was peaceful, quiet, and remote, that they could gather together, they could fellowship, Jesus could teach his disciples. They met there often. Verse 3. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. So they go in with pitchforks and torches like Jesus is an ogre. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And G- Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him when Jesus said, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. So this is just an, a, an interesting scenario. Jesus is standing in the garden at night. They come with pitchforks, weapons, torches, all the things that are necessary to arrest the criminal in the dead of night. They could have arrested him in the day, but they were cowards and did it at night. And they said, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And all he says is, I am he. And they all fall dead. Jesus has got to resurrect them so that he can be arrested. And then Peter, being just like you and I, he would have been a Second Amendment guy for sure. Um, we'll see that here in a second. When Jesus said, "I am He," they drew back, to, fell to the ground, and He asked them again, "Who do you seek?" He had to raise them back up, get them out there, get them up. Said, "Who, who are you looking for?" Said, so, "Looking for Jesus of Nazareth." And Jesus answered, "I told you, I'm He. So if you seek Me, let these men go." This was the, the this was a prophesied moment. Listen, you're after me. Don't take my twelve. Don't take these disciples. I'm the guy you want. And they go free. This was to fill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you give me, I have not lost one. That's in John chapter 6. Then Simon Peter, the second amendment guy, having a sword, he draws it out. And he strikes the high priest's servant and cuts off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchias. Malchias. So, Jesus says to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath, Pete. Don't, don't pull the sword. I shall not drink the cup that the Father has given me. He's like, listen, if you go at this thing with force, this is not how we're doing this. This is not how the kingdom is advanced. Not with swords and, and ammunition and weapons. If you take these guys out, your own death is, is secured. I have to go do this. I've got to go do this to get you set free. It's so verse 12. Jesus goes and faces Ananias and uh, Caiaphas. So these band of soldiers, they, uh, verse 12, so the band of soldiers and their captains of the officers, of the Jews, arrest Jesus, bind him. First, they led him to Ananias, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man die for the people. So we, they, they lead out. We see that here in a minute, who that, who that is. He gets, they, give a, they give a choice. This is the biggest farce. This is the biggest, phoniest trial of the, of the entire recorded history. Uh, one of the authors from ChristianityToday.com uh, states... That after his arrest, Jesus was taken before officials, the Jewish high priest Caiaphas, and the rest of the chief priests of the relig- and religious experts who beat Jesus. Sent him then to Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, who's the governor, the Roman governor of that province. Pilate questions Jesus, finds no fault in Jesus, so then he says, I, "I got no fault in him. Go send him to Herod. He's he's the guy that's." the other leader of the Jews here, send him to Herod. So they send him off to Herod of Ant- Herod Antipas. Herod also questions Jesus. This guy finds no fault in him, sends him back to Pilate. Pilate wants to release him. Pilate wants to let him go. But he's a politician. The people are who had just a week ago had been screaming, save us, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king, the king of death. King, son of David, Hosanna, now are screaming for his murder. How fickle are we as human beings. Pilate succumbs to the crowd and has him flogged. And flogged is not a, a pretty, is not a encompassing enough term for what took place to Jesus. Uh, to Jesus, They tie him to a post and this Roman brute who is a gigantic thug takes a cat of nine tails that is a leather whip that has nine strands that has mixtures of stone, glass, bone, ether, any other type of metal, jagged things tied to the end of that whip and they begin to beat Jesus. They take all of his clothes off and they beat him. History shows that they did it no more than 39 times. If anything over 39 times, they would have killed whoever got whipped. That was just, they knew that 39 was the was the number. Anything over 39, he, they're dead. So they beat Jesus with this, this instrument, turned him into a walking hamburger. His body is unrecognizable. They beat him. They punch him. They blindfold him and then say, You're a prophet? Prophesy who hits you next. They blindfold him and beat him to a pulp. His face was swollen. They pulled his beard out. They did horrific things for 18 to 20 hours to the king of kings. Hand him over to the crowd and they says, "Okay, wait a minute. Here's what we'll do. This is how I'm gonna. Here's how I'm gonna get out of this. We got two two guys here. We got Barabbas. We got Jesus. Who do you want? And now Barabbas is a thug. Barabbas is a murderer. He's a liar. He's a cheat. He is a horrific human being. He is the guy that should be going to the cross. Remember, there's two other guys. There's two other people that are on the cross besides in the middle." of Remember Jesus in the middle, and there's two thieves on the other side? Barabbas was going to be the third guy. Mark chapter 27, verse 26 says, They released Barabbas to them. The people cried out, Give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. We'd rather have a murdering thug released into our community than to have Jesus around anymore. So they released Barabbas to them, but they flogged Jesus and hand him over to be crucified. They released a horribly wicked man and Christ took his place. There's a sermon right there. This is an amazing picture of every one of us in this room. Barabbas is all of us in this room. Christ took Barabbas' place on the cross just like he took your place on the cross. You're a liar. You're a thief. You're a blasphemer. You're an adulterer at heart. You're a murderer at heart. That's what the scripture says. All of us in the room are guilty of all those things. Just like Barabbas was. Jesus takes his place. And when they handed Jesus over to the soldiers, these were absolute brutes. the Roman government. These soldiers beat Jesus, mocked him, jammed a crown of thorns. They crafted a crown of thorns. These crowns were gigantic crowns and they shoved him into his head and those thorns pierced his skull, went deep into the membranes and the blood came down his face, already unrecognizable face. More blood came. These soldiers mocked him they jeered him they hailed him as the king of the jews all of this happened back and forth for 18 to 20 hours they forced jesus to carry his cross up to golgotha which means place of the skull Mark chapter 15 verse 21 shows us that a passerby named Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry Christ's cross the rest of the way because of his absolute he couldn't he couldn't handle the weight. These crosses are not light. My friend Joe White, who runs Cup camps, used to build crosses as part of his his Preaching that he did. And these crosses are up to 300 pounds. And Joe would carry these crosses as the picture of what Christ did. And Joe, who was an athletically fit guy, has a hard time carrying a 300 pound cross. I can't even imagine, after being beat unmercifully for the last 16 to 17 hours, carrying a cross to Calvary. So Simon picks up his cross and carries it for him. Jesus comes to the place to be crucified. They put him in the middle of two criminals to die the death of a criminal. One of these men mocks him and tells him, Hey, if you're really who you say you are, save yourself and then save us. If you're really who you are, you, you really, if you're the man you, you keep saying you are, and all these people keep saying you are, then prove it. Prove that you are him. Save yourself and save us. And then we've got the other guy on the other side who says, why are you saying this? This man doesn't deserve what he is getting. We are justly getting our reward because we earned this. We sinned. We broke the law. We deserve this. And then he looks at Jesus and begs him. He says, Jesus, if you could, would you please remember me when you enter into your kingdom? And I told you a couple weeks ago, the most unlikely guy that gets saved, he gets saved. And Jesus, when you die, the moment you take your last breath, you're going to be in paradise with me. Woo! Got me thinking, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus becomes you, and you become Christ. Christ takes on all of your sin, and receives the penalty of your sin, and you receive the mercy and the grace of, Jesus should have gotten. Biblical scholars believe that this portion of this scenario took up to six hours. Six hours from the time Jesus was crucified until he died. This death was a death of suffocation. Every breath was hard to take as they nailed him up put his feet in here it was literally the weight of his own body was suffocating he couldn't breathe as he hung on the cross his own body weight is what caused him not to be able to 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 breathe anymore his lungs were filling with liquid blood and water and every as you push up it would kill your feet because they put Nails between the two feet to hold him they put two nails in each wrist to hold him there and he would push up just just to get a breath and then back down he couldn't breathe again as he let off because the weight the pain on his feet were so agonizing he let go and he just hold on and he couldn't breathe so every time he spoke it took every ounce of ability for him to be able to use words While on the cross, it is recorded in Luke chapter 23 verse 24 that Jesus requests from his Father that he have mercy on those that are killing him. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. They, they don't know what they're doing, Father. Don't hold this against them. And I believe that that is a prayer that God answered. Because there wasn't any prayer that God didn't grant Jesus. And if Jesus looked at those people and looked at those men and had mercy on those men who were doing unspeakable things to him and said, Father, forgive these men for they do not know what they are doing. And then the next thing, as soon as he says that, they mock him more. They, they say horrible things to him. They mock him even it's just, it's just an unspeakable amount of mocking that takes place. The soldiers, verse in Luke chapter 23, it says, The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offered him sour wine. Hey, you want something to drink, fella? You need something to drink? They mocked They mocked him. It said, if you're the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? You're really a king? A king would be able to save himself. You're no king. There was also an inscription over his head that, wrote, that, wrote, that was written in three different languages so that everyone in the crowd could read it. And it said, This is the king of the Jews. Not in such a way that was, Oh, he is the king, let's worship him. It was once again to mock him. And this is when the criminal says, are you, the, are you not the Christ? Then save yourself and save us. As these men begin to cast lots over Jesus' body, or over Jesus' garments, this was a prophesied moment. That they were going to cast lots over Jesus' garments. They're, in essence, what they're doing is they're gambling for his clothing. They start to rip it. No, 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 no. Don't rip it up. Let's gamble for it. Let's cast lots for it. Let's go to the casino over his clothes. And whoever wins gets his clothes. Let's do this. They're gambling for his clothes that had just been stripped off of him. And after this, the ruler these rulers begin to mock Jesus even further. I can't biblically validate this, but I, I would almost bet at this moment that there was a host of heavenly angels on the, on the precipice of heaven's borders just waiting for an eyebrow to go would like the rock, little eyebrow lift, and just have unleashed on humanity Heaven's, heaven's armies. Could you imagine as heaven watched the Savior being crucified for a rebellious creation? Just waiting. Just give us a sign, Jesus. We'll do it. And He, he could have. All Jesus had to do was say, get up, boys. And it would have been over. But rather, Jesus held his tongue, as he was in his, that mock trial, he could have easily defeated this just silliness. But he kept his mouth shut because if he had opened his mouth and defended himself, we would have been left defenseless. But rather, Jesus holds back and tooks, takes the full punishment that's laid out on the cross for us. He dies on the cross for us, and about three in the afternoon, Jesus shouts out a statement: "Elohi, Elohi, Larium Sacrium," which means, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" At three o'clock on Friday, I was driving home at three o'clock, and I looked at my, I looked at my clock on my truck. At 3 o'clock, the text says, this is when he does this, and the sky goes dark, and Jesus screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was the moment that Christ took every ounce of sin for those that would believe. Every sin from the beginning of creation to the end of creation, Jesus takes every ounce of sin on that lovely head, and God the Almighty turns his back on his only begotten son because he became you he turns his back on his only begotten son so don't think for one second that one ounce of your sin is going to be winked at by God almighty if you refuse to repent of your sins you, listen, there's only two options for you either have your sins forgiven on Calvary's cross or paid out for all eternity in hell one of the two and if you refuse to repent, I don't need to repent, I'm fine. You will spend eternity in hell, paying for your sins. Whew. This is the moment Jesus dreaded the most. This is the reason that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat drops of blood, oh, so ang- so agonizing. this is the moment that he had most dreaded the moment that the father and the son would be separated god the father turns his back on god the son and god the son becomes sin for us for all eternity now why did this have to happen to redeem and buy back those who had fallen short who have fallen short in here Scripture according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this is why he had to do what he had to do. A little bit later, Jesus screams out, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Luke chapter 23, verse 46. And in John 19, 30, he says the word, Tetelestai, which means it's paid in Full. the debt has been paid these people are bought back no longer are they a slave to sin I paid the debt Tetelestai I paid the debt at that very moment a massive earthquake happens splits rocks all over, the, all over the place, the curtain in the temple is separated at the Holy of Holies from the top to the bottom showing that God rips that himself and the Holy of Holies is now accessible to everyone. Not just the high priest, you now have become a priest. You don't have to have a priest go to, you, go to God for you. You now, because of what Christ has done on the cross, have access into the Holy of Holies. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 explains this. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. This is all recorded in Matthew 27 verses 49 through 54. And at this very moment when all this stuff unfurls, One of the centurions at the base of the cross, verse 54 of Matthew 27, When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what had taken place, they were filled with great fear and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. At this moment, Jesus, after this, Jesus was taken down from the cross and put into a borrowed tomb. Joseph Joseph of Arimathea placed Jesus into this tomb. He was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was a quiet disciple because he didn't want the Jews to kill him. He's laid into the tomb for three days. And for those three days, the disciples were left in suspense. Could you imagine? You'd followed Jesus for three years. You went all in. He taught you. You were with him every single day. You learned from him. You, you saw the miracles. You saw what he could do. You knew who he was. And to think, it's over. What, what happened? Could you imagine what was Running through their minds, the fear that they could have possibly had in their minds. Oh my goodness, our leader's gone. But just when you think all is lost, Friday was rough, but thank God Sunday's on the way. Amen. Amen. John chapter 20 says On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and they saw the stone that had been rolled away from the tomb, and they ran. Simon and Peter and the other disciples. The one whom Jesus loved—I love how John refers to himself—is that all the time? That's just an interesting one. Hey, Jesus loves me. <laughs> how about you? <clears throat> so they take they, where they take. I'm sorry. So they ran and went to Simon and Peter and the other disciples, and they said, "They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him." And so Peter went out of the room with the disciples. And they were where they were gathered and he headed towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It was a race, I guess. They stooped down in and looked and saw that the linen cloths were lying there, but they did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went right into the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. The face cloth, which had been laid where Jesus' head was laid. It wasn't lying with the regular linen cloth, but it was folded up by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw, and he believed. And at that moment, that was the moment he, it all clicked. Oh, wait, he said he was gonna die, and he was gonna come back. He believed. For they at for as of yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must. Rise from the dead, and then the disciples went back to their homes. So John, they have this moment where they're absolutely mind blown. Oh my goodness, he is! He came back. He died, but he had to come back. Like this is excitement. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She wept and stood and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there at the body of Jesus, where Jesus's body had been laid. One at the head, one at the feet. And said to, him, said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said, They've taken my Lord away, and I do not know where he has been laid. Having said this to her, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She thought that this guy was the gardener. If you've taken Jesus, where did you take him? Do you know where they've taken him? Tell me where they've taken him. And then Jesus says, Mary. Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Teacher. And Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go back. Go back to my brothers. Now this is the, now listen. This is the moment, the only moment in scripture where Jesus is recorded in t- calling his disciples Brothers. Why? Because they are now been adopted in. They've been sealed by the blood and they're no longer just disciples. They're my brothers. Listen, we're not just, we're adopted into the family. We're adopted in. Jesus shows he's alive. Listen, he he shows it to first. He shows it to Mary, a woman. So don't tell me that Christianity is some sort of backwoods uh, religion that holds women down. Who God show himself to first? A woman. Come on. There's a couple of different plausible explanations here of why Jesus tells her not to grab on. Number one was he had not yet ascended to the Father and taken the blood and sprinkled it over the, over the mercy seat. And there's another one that says that, listen, I'm leaving here soon, so don't cling to me like this. You've got to let me go. We're going to have a different kind of relationship. I'm sending the comforter to be with you. Both of those are plausible ideas. Then Jesus, later in the text, appears to his disciples. He shows them in the text. In, um, he shows up. He says, on the evening of this day, the first day of the week, Sunday, Sunday morning, the doors are locked, and when the disciples... Why were they there? For fear of the Jews. So they're hiding. They're scared. The disciples are scared. Jesus comes and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Doors are locked. Don't matter. Oh, if we just lock the doors, we can keep him out. No locked doors can keep the Lord Jesus out. Jesus shows up and says, Peace be with you. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so now I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the whole, And he says, Listen, what? If you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, it's withhold. Now, this doesn't mean that they had the power to forgive. He's just saying, he's showing him here. I'm telling you, what's happened on the cross is what gives access to forgiveness. If you accept this, if you repent of your sins and you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. If you reject this, forgiveness will be withheld. This is the hope we have. This is the gospel that Christ lived a perfect life, died the death that you deserve, was raised three days later for your justification. This is the gospel, the good news. We have forgiveness forgiveness of our sins if we repent and place our trust in Christ alone. That's it. This is what we have to look forward to.